The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell, Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder of we're in the midst of a series I'm calling the Agents of Transformation, and I've been interviewing powerful avatars of truth, you know, people who are ambassadors of love, of peace, of knowledge and wisdom, and teaching the universal principles for better living. So today I have a very special guest, uh, a, a, a man who I originally saw in 2009 at Michael Beckwith's revelation conference and he made the book of ezekiel come alive with the metaphysics and mysticism and i've never forgotten that day because i i actually felt like i was in the story so without further ado i have on the call bible scholar metaphysician uh teacher of biblical mysticism the reverend dr will coleman how you doing dr coleman doing wonderful today yourself I'm excellent, excellent, absolutely great. Before we get started, Dr. Coleman, for those who might not be familiar familiar with you, could you give them a little bit of your background? Yes. Um, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and um, grew up in the Pentecostal Church there. Went to Rhodes College in Memphis. That's where I got my Bachelor of Arts in Religion. From there, I moved to Decatur, Georgia, just uh, adjacent to Atlanta, and got my Master of Divinity degree from Columbia Theological Seminary, Presbyterian um, related affiliated uh, school of theology 
uh, became Presbyterian, a Presbyterian minister during that um, period of my life. And then from there, I went on to uh, Berkeley, California to pursue my Ph.D. in uh, systematic theology and philosophical theology and philosophy of religion, specializing in um, what's called hermeneutics or interpretation theory. Taught for seven years at Columbia Seminary, returning back to Decatur. And then um, since about 2000 or so, 2003, 2004, I've been doing more and more teaching uh, on my own independently. I do uh, uh, teach as an adjunct professor for the Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta. And as you know, a number of courses uh, on my own in the areas of theology and biblical uh, spirituality, mysticism, etc., uh, offer a pro bono class every Monday night from 8 o'clock to 9.30 Eastern Time, available to the public, uh, on a series of things related to uh, Bible, meditation, new thought, etc. That's it. it. In a nutshell, working with Hebrew, Greek, and Latin texts, so get in touch with the primary sources in addition to the English translations. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. So let me go right in before we, you know, open the the uh, lines for callers. I, I have a couple of questions myself. And I, sure. first of all, I would like to know, based upon your definition, what is biblical mysticism? Yeah, the root word will, comes from the Greek term uh, mustadion, mustadion, which then gets translated into Latin as mystery. So mustadion. And basically means the, that which is hidden or that which is uh, below the apparent surface of things. Uh, we call it a mystery. Uh, and mysticism then is uh, a series of practices and disciplines that are intended to uh, disclose specifically within oneself the hidden mysteries of life, uh, correlating uh, what we call the macrocosm or the outer world with the uh, uh, microcosm or the inner world. In a nutshell, that's what mysticism uh, could be defined as. It's also an attempt to um, connect with one's uh, understanding of, of the divine, of the divine unity. So you put the adjective Christian in front of it, then it means um, an attempt from a Christian point of view, a Christos knowing point of view to do that, to be uh, connected consciously with uh, one's concept of the divine. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. So I wanted to ask you specifically about uh, this word theophany. Uh, yes. You know, when they talk about the God appearances, these dreams and visions. Yeah. And why is that so important to understand dreams and visions in the Bible? One, this is a two-part question. Mm-hmm. And second, understanding how that works in our own souls. Because, oh. you know, I, I, for an example, you know, like the burning bush. Right. Uh, you know, you know, the book of Revelation, you know, mm-hmm. book of Ezekiel, when you made that alive, that these weren't literal experiences. These were visions and dreams. They were theophanies. Could you mm-hmm. go into that a little bit for the Bible and our and for ourselves today? Sure. Again, uh, two Greek words, theos and phane. Theos meaning a God or divine. And then phane meaning appearance, like the word epiphany means light upon or the appearance of uh, the Christos and a certain way of un- understanding the biblical text. Theophany is um, the idea that the divine one appears in some form that is palpable and that can be seen. Some interpret, for example, the visitation of the three men to uh, Abraham in Genesis as a theophany, 
Uh, so, it's, um, again, the example you gave, Moses' experience in Exodus chapter 3 um, could be thought of as a theophany. So any um, uh, ex- experience where one believes he or she is seeing some representation of the divine is considered to be a theophany. The second part is that, as you um, know, when I did the presentation on Moses' experience and the burning bush, there are several very simple things you can think about that tells you this is a dream, a vision. A, bushes do not burn. They don't burn, at least not in the na- and, and without being consumed as a natural phenomenon. However, they can burn in consciousness. And the way in which Moses is having this experience then tells us that he's having an experience that is very powerful in his imagination. His imagination is being transformed by what he's seeing. So to with Ezekiel, uh, when he has the experience of uh, seeing the chariot in chapter 1 of the book of Ezekiel, this is clearly something that's happening in his uh, imagination based on things that he's seen in the temple. Now, what's powerful about both these experiences that we don't often uh uh, we're not often aware of is that uh, these uh, theophanies are also brought about through specific practices, which among the Hebrews were probably similar to yogic techniques. So when Ezekiel says, for example, the hand of the Lord is upon me in, in, uh, in the Hebrew, it's a clue that he's going into a state, an ecstatic state of possession, an ecstatic state where he sees this vision. So that means it is brought about through specific spiritual practices. Okay? Now, the third part of your, and I'm saying a third part of your question, has to do with everyday experience. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, what we call conscious, unconscious, daytime, nighttime, vision, seeing, experiencing, was not as distinct as we now talk about it. So if something happened in the mind, it was real. Or someone, If you saw something in the mind, it was real. It was not something that was uh, quote-unquote, it was super extraordinary, but it was not outside of reality. It was inside of reality. And part of what we've done uh, is to separate those two. And in order in, in order to have a deeper and profounder uh, theophanic experience of our own uh, connection with the divine, we have to reconnect ourselves with what we might call our subconscious mind and our subconscious ways of thinking. And the most immediate way to do that in my opinion, is to cultivate what you do during, quote-unquote, dream time, where dream time is not simply vacillating thoughts, but dream time becomes uh, a place and a, and, a, and a time for uh, information that can lead to internal illumination. And illumination is enlightenment from within, through, your own, uh, sim- through the cultivation of your own symbolic uh, world. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, when you were saying that, it brought me back to a conversation I had years ago with um, a, a mutual colleague, um, Dr. Rocco Erico. Yeah, and he said that he was with uh, Dr. George Lamza, his mentor, and he said that uh, Dr. Lamza was asleep, mm-hmm. and they were traveling somewhere, and he just woke up. And he yes. started screaming. An angel visited me. An angel just visited me. Mm-hmm. And he was and for for him for Dr. Lams. It was descriptive, and he explained this is what happened, and, and I and it had a message and et cetera. And he had to write it down. He was told what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, Dr. Erica was basically saying for a person that was born in America, 
born in, in New York City with the rational, logical mind, that didn't make sense to, the, to him in the way that it made sense to his mentor. Right. <laughs> that that right. an angel just came to visit me. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, the word angel uh, is uh, means messenger, angelos, messenger, messenger, angelos. And the message is coming from within. And uh, it's a conglomeration, of course, of both individual and collective ideas about divine communication. It's uh, melech in the Hebrew, melech. But it's a messenger. So yeah. a messenger brings a message. And that can happen uh, either while one is asleep, as with the experience of Dr. Lamza, or when one is uh, in a static form of meditation. Okay, okay, that, that's, that's good, that's good. Now, speaking of, of the dreams and visions and understanding what that means, before the call started, we were talking about uh, uh, Bishop John Shelby Spong's new book, uh, Biblical Literacism, A Gentile Heresy, and you had gone on to explain to me, you know, how fundamentalism was a modern phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Could you expound on that? Any attempt to uh, read the Bible, especially English translations, let's get that first and foremost, that a translation is always also a deviation from the original. And that, as we know, and from one language to another, there is no literal anything that can come out of uh, trying to translate uh, English words into French words or vice versa, just, you know, per se. Same thing applies to biblical literature. Uh, all English translations are not, uh, no, let me say it this way, no English translation is a literal translation of original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek text. That's first and foremost. Second to that, even when we look at the original uh, Hebrew and Greek languages, they are very powerfully poetic uh, styles of writings. Uh, the Bible is essentially an anthology of myth, of myth, of uh, some history, and uh, of poetry, uh, a lot of poetry, the language that is used. Hebrew, for example, is a multi-dimensional language. The alphabet is multi-layered. So um, it is um, almost impossible to get any word-for-word translations in a literal sense from Hebrew words into English, just at that level, at the level of linguistics. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's okay. why it's so rich, and that is why we can have so many different uh, types of interpretations uh, from these um, Hebrew and Greek uh, texts, into, even into English. Yes, yes. So, uh, And uh, one other thing we talked about, okay. it's, it, it's also the case that uh, contemporary fundamentalist attempt to interpret the Bible literally is a more modern phenomenon in the history of biblical interpretation there have always been different uh, notions of uh, of of, uh, of symbolic, analogical, parabolic ways of understanding what has been written. Yes, yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you a question about, uh, in particular, a person who I like to study in in metaf- Christian metaphysics, and that's Charles Fillmore's metaphysical interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think his work is top notch, mm-hmm. and um, I want I, when you work with because I know you've taught some of his material in your Monday evening class, twelve powers and some different things. How? Because he wasn't a Bible scholar, right? But but many of the things he said matches up to scholarship. I mean, far as the mysticism is concerned, how do you work with the, a material that where somebody seemingly 
just received it from spirit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I suspect that he, he may have had some others who worked with him, um, with some of the, uh, especially some of the biblical Hebrew uh, technical meanings or, uh, through his own research. But remember, metaphysical means getting behind that which seems to be uh, apparent, behind the physical, metaphysique. So uh, it is uh, not understanding the Bible primarily as a historical document, but as a typology, that what's in there is a type of of, uh, of expression of reality. Uh, so a lot of this uh, comes to him through uh, insights, uh, meditation, reflection. The way I have worked and continue to work with the uh, 12 powers, because we're still doing the 12 powers in my Monday night class, we've gotten to chapter 5 now, is as I attempt to show to the students uh, what are the biblical texts behind uh, his uh, commentary on these 12 powers. So in other words, we're looking at uh, chapter 5 now, Regenerating Faith. There are some references to Genesis chapter 1, the creation of, of, of the human being as male and female. When we get to that type of uh, discussion, I take the students directly on my computer because I can share my screen directly to the um, Hebrew text where they can see these nuances of um, what it says about not man but Adam, Adam, which means earth being, and then Adam as male and female, specific again. Zahar and Nechevah. What that means is that Adam is not a man, but really Adam is uh, male and female. It is the male and female in community. It's the male and female in collaboration. It's the male and female in uh, cooperation. That's true humanity. So that's what I do. I, I do, uh, do, uh, do uh, exegesis or uh, interpretation behind uh, the 12 powers text so that people can get a better sense of what's going on with these insights. Beautiful. beautiful. And then I'll also teach specific uh, meditation techniques connected with uh, what we're reading, the names of God, for example, or the names of the divine being, which there are more than one in the uh, Hebrew text. Right, right, right. Um, I want to ask you, and we might not be able to get through all of it before the uh, break in two minutes and 30 seconds. Okay. About mystical Christianity and the teachings of reincarnation and your, and your position on that. Yeah, we're going to have to unpack that for a moment. I'll just, I'll <laughs> let, me set, let me set it up. Uh, okay. uh, uh, reincarnation, um, again, the idea of coming back in flesh, reincarnatio, coming back into the flesh, uh, is not uh, present in much of the Hebrew uh, scriptures, the Hebrew writings. For example, Genesis to Malachi, with the exception of uh, some references in the book of Daniel and some references in the book of Job, primarily in the oldest Hebrew notions, uh, a person dies and they're buried in the ground and they become an ancestor. And that's it. There's no idea of a judgment, etc. But during the intertestamental period, what we call intertestamental period, from about 500 BCE to the time of the Christos, one uh, common era A.D., the Hebrews are influenced by both Persians and Greeks, the Persian and Greek empires. And thus so happened that in both Persian and in uh, Greek um, philosophy, ideas about reincarnation uh, emerge. And that's what begins to influence, um, first, Judaism, and then secondly, Christianity, because Christianity grows out of Judaism. So I'm going to set it up that way, and we can talk about it some more after the break. But uh, 
And so, so what you have then are two uh, thoughts developing. One is reincarnation. The other is resurrection. All right. All right. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good moment for a pen. So uh, for the listeners, once we get past this particular question, then I'll open the, the phone lines for anyone who would like to call in and ask Dr. Coleman a question. Uh, Dr. Coleman, could you give the people the, uh, the name of your website so they yeah. can um, take sure. a look at it? Website is uh, Will Coleman, W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E-M-A-N-P-H-D dot C-O-M dot com. And if they're interested in the Monday Night Class, there's a link that says contact us. that They can send me an email and I will uh, enroll them into the class uh, every Monday night, pro bono, 8 to 9.30 approximately. Eastern time. Beautiful, beautiful. So we're going to take our first break and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I have on the call... Bible scholar, teacher of biblical spirituality, metaphysics, and mysticism, Dr. Will Coleman, and he was breaking down uh, the the thought process of how resurrection and reincarnation be- became, for lack of terms, infiltrated into the Hebrew culture, and and 
where that goes. So, Dr. Coleman, you have the floor. Yes, sir. So, uh, as where we left off, I was talking about the uh, there's a, a complementarity or tension between the notion of reincarnation and resurrection. So, um, I did a, I guess I can kind of call it a little summation of uh, where these notions appear. If you look at, for example, the, what much of the Hebrew text, the Hebrew scriptures, what we uh, often call the Old Testament, there's no idea of uh, reincarnation per se, but there is also no idea of resurrection in the oldest text. So a person uh, dies and they simply go to Sheol, that's what's under the earth. Uh, with the exception, as I mentioned earlier, of the book of Daniel and the book of Job, there are some allusions to not a, resurre- not a reincarnation, but a resurrection of the righteous. And um, this is not accidental because uh, both Daniel and Job are influenced by some sources I'll talk about in a moment. When we get to the gospel writings, the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, we have uh, this tension. First, there are some allusions to something that may sound like uh, reincarnation. And at the same time, there's clearly the idea of resurrection. And the person is Jesus himself who uh, is, quote-unquote, resurrected. So this is where the, the, the shift, I think, begins to occur. When you read the epistles, um, here again, no idea of reincarnation, but very strong idea of resurrection. And then again, in the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, no reincarnation, but yes, um, resurrection. So the predominant is uh, resurrection in the long scheme. So you go from no resurrection, no reincarnation, to the gospel writings, allusions to something that could sound like reincarnation, and then more prominent, resurrection. Epistles, resurrection, revelation, resurrection. Okay, Dr. Cohen, well, how does this happen? It happens based on the Hebrews' ideas of time, history, and the nature of the soul. Time, history, and the nature of the soul, or the nature of that inner essence of the human being. In Hebrew, it's called nephesh, and in Greek, it's called psuche, from which we get the word psyche, and in Latin, it's called anima, the animating force. So this is the key. If you understand time to be cyclical, to move in circles, repetition in circles, then the idea of reincarnation is going to become more pervasive. If you believe time to be more linear, then the idea of resurrection is going to become more pervasive. Is that making sense to you? Yes. So, where again, where does this happen? For most of us, we don't get it because of the text. <laughs> uh, the text and literature where this transformation takes place is not a part of our Bibles. Namely, Gnostic material in Judaism, the uh, Book of Enoch uh, uh, brings in an influence, the philosophy of Plato and Pythagoras, that's an influence from the Greek side. So by the time we open up our New Testaments, we have missed about 500 years of the development of these two ideas. One idea of reincarnation, probably influenced by both uh, Hindi and Greek ideas, the other idea of resurrection, more likely influenced by the Persian um, uh, 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 perspective. And remember now, during the intertestamental period, the Hebrews were influenced strongly by both Persian empires and Greek empires. And this is why I suspect these two um, ideas began to butt, to butt heads. Prior to that, they don't exist in Hebrew um, 
theology at all. You, you just die, and that's, that's it. Uh, but by the time we get to the New Testament, for example, the Pharisees believe in resurrection and probably reincarnation, and the Sadducees don't. So okay. this is where this is where the, these two ideas began to emerge um, in the what we call the New Testament, but they actually emerged in a period between the New Testament and under the influence of sources that we don't have access direct access to. Okay, so when when some of the uh, this people thought pro- possibly that Jesus was another prophet come back, yes, with that. Right. The, Yes. Oh, and what Jesus mentioned about John the Baptist being yes. Elijah, yes. those were ideas around Reen- those are ideas around re- reincarnation. Exactly right. Okay, All those right. are ideas that that suggest that at least a segment of the Judaism, especially uh, again the the Pharisees, of which Jesus himself was a Pharisee, a, a Pharisee Essene. Uh, those are suggesting ideas of reincarnation. Elijah, for example, they believe, many of them believe because he had not died a natural death, but had been taken away in a chariot, that he would come back in some form before the final judgment or before the final king or Messiah would appear. That's a better way of saying it, because Judaism was looking for a Messiah and a return to um, uh, the dominance of God in their lives. They believed that someone like Elijah would come back in human form. And then uh, they began to believe that either that person, some of them did, was John, the baptizer and cousin of Jesus, or Jesus himself. And, of course, Jesus denied. Both John and Jesus, uh, they don't uh, affirm that. I won't say that they completely denied. They just don't affirm that complete uh, that idea. But it does mean the idea was, was uh, prevalent. And that the other, the other idea that begins to emerge is the idea of resurrection. And the okay. book of Daniel alludes to the to, uh, resurrection of the righteous. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So first of all, I want to, we can keep talking about this for a moment, but I want to at least open up to the, yes. the phone lines. If anybody wants to call in, they can call in at 888-558-6489. 89. So I just want to make sure that mm-hmm. you all have the number 888-558-6489 if you want to call in and ask Dr. Coleman a question. So when 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 dealing with um, all of these different concepts of, of the Bible, I want to kind of drill down on on one person in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I asked this, this question anytime I get an opportunity to talk to a Bible scholar because I just like the different nuances of how it's it's answered. Mm-hmm. What is the gospel? Okay, uh, gospel. Uh, the word euangelion. Euangelion simply means good news. It's good news. So it is the concept that uh, when Yeshua has appeared and he is reinterpreting uh, much of the Torah, much of the so-called law, teaching of the law, more than prophets of the Psalms that uh, those who became his followers, his disciples, uh, heard and understood this to be good news. It's a reinterpretation of many of their older concepts about their relationship with God and with each other, and also specifically with the um, the kingdom of, or reigndom of God on earth. Whether it be 
uh, a physical, political, material kingdom or a more uh, spiritual, ethical one. So, and, 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 and really the person who popularizes the idea of the euangelion, the gospel, or the good message is what it means. The good message is Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul. The, the books that become, that we call the gospels then, are um, quasi-biographies of the person or the prophet, the messenger of the good news, namely uh, Jesus or Yeshua. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. Dr. Coleman, you have a caller on the line. All right. You have a, a, a Sandra on the line. Yes, Galen, it's Sandra Holmes. Sandra, hi, how you doing? Good to I'm hear from you. I'm highly favored. How are you? I'm excellent as well. Good to hear your voice. Yes, and hello, Dr. Coleman. How are you doing? I'm blessed. I can't complain. Amen. Me too. I know, right? Yes. Now, I know you're an interpreter of the Bible, and I had been, like, living on Philippians um, chapter 2, 1 through 5. Mm-hmm. And where I get stuck at and end up, allowing people to use me or abuse me or whatever, mm-hmm. or allowing, I said allowing, mm-hmm. is where it says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, interest right. but also for the interests of others. Right. So Galen knows me well, and I'm always, like, out trying to help people. Right. But I guess some people just don't want my help. Mhm, mhm. So I guess I need some clarification on, you know, what Jesus is really saying. Yeah, that's Paul, Philippians. So in Philippians I mean, chapter Paul. two, yeah, no problem. Philippians in chapter two. Uh, right. Paul, Paul is setting up in in, in Philippians uh, two things. One is the notion of the model of the Christos, or the model of the Christ. And how the Christ uh, goes through a cycle from uh, having been highly exalted to becoming human to um, experiencing, uh, one could say, humiliation and then uh, being resurrected and ascending uh, back to the source. So Paul is setting up a model of uh, dissension and exaltation. Now, okay. a model, a model. And he gives this model to the people in terms of their interactions with each other because the early Christian community, the early Christian church, is moving out of one way of thinking, i.e. Judaism, into mm-hmm. another way of thinking, i.e. what is going to become known as Christianity. So he's really trying to teach them, and this is true of all of Paul's writings, as a matter of fact, how to live in community. So living in community involves, and this is the point that you need to hear, it involves maintaining the integrity of your own well-being. Mm. You know what I said? Maintaining the integrity of your own well-being while you are living in partnership with others. You don't lose yourself. They, uh, Paul advocates the idea of what he calls koinonia, koinonia, which means partnership. We are participants. Partnership, okay. So, he is not advocating that one loses oneself, that one uh, gives up the integrity of one's own well-being, spirit, soul, body within uh, the ministry of, of, of helping others. You cannot help others if you're not taking care of yourself. 
Helping others is a surplus of the own life force that we have. You follow me? Yes, sir. It's a surplus. It's not, it's not a deficit. So on the uh, first and foremost, Paul's idea of imitating Christ or the Christos is, in, is uh, imitating uh, in integrity. Integrity. Of one's own, I repeat, of one's own well-being. And then uh, from one's own well-being, helping others also to achieve a better well-being uh, of and within themselves. Collaboration. Collaboration. Not not servitude. Collaboration. Oh, maintaining maintaining my own integrity yes. of my well-being yes. while helping others to achieve their. Yes. yes. If you're depleted, you're not helping others. <laughs> right, because yeah. I can't help nobody if I'm not helping myself. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And I'm just going to, as you, as you, uh, we're wrapping up this call. I just want to add, Sandra, uh, that uh, you know that's your, you know Jesus said, you know, you can present it, but if they don't accept it, you're free enough to shake the dust off your feet and keep it moving. So, <laughs> so, so that's okay to do. All right. <laughs> and I can walk away and feel real peaceful. Right, right, right. You don't have to be nobody's walking mad. You know, Reverend Reverend Coleman. Johnny Coleman, she, she didn't. She didn't play when it came to that. So yes, walking integrity. Okay. I promise. I I wrote this down. This is going to be a big old thing around everywhere I go in my house. Beautiful. Good. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank thank you guys me. so much. You're, You're listening. Yes. All right. So yet again, if, if anyone else wants to call in, you can call in to 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. And since, um, you know, uh, Sandra brought up uh, the Apostle Paul, yes. it seems to be, a, a, a you know, at times uh, that Pauline Christianity it overwhelms following the teachings of Jesus. Christianity is Pauline. Yeah. Christianity is Pauline. Yeah, I heard what you just said. Christianity is Pauline. Uh, there's no other person who uh, really shapes what become the key doctrines of Christianity uh, besides Paul. Um, he, um, I often said this to, to students, he wrote about 1% of the Bible, but influences 90, 99% of how it's interpreted. And it has a lot to do with Paul's own uh, position as a Roman citizen, as well as uh, a Pharisee, um, uh, a former Pharisee scholar. Uh, his ability to work with the Hebrew and apparently Hebrew and Greek languages, uh, the way in which he wrote, his social status, these things influence uh, how he has such an impact on the shaping of Christianity. Uh, he was the first person, even though our New Testament has the Gospels first, actually Paul was the first person to write about the meaning of the coming of the Christos in his, in his letters. And then the Gospel narratives that we look at were written uh, actually much later. So, he, yes, he had tremendous impact. Uh, the, 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 as far as Jesus and the writings of those Gospels are concerned, as I just indicated, <laughs> they're written later. And in some ways, they're written to catch up with Paul. That's the irony. <laughs> to catch up. That, yeah. that, that's, that's saying something. When um, when 
Uh, I, I, one other thing. Another thing was that uh, Paul specifically saw himself as a messenger or apostle, quote unquote, to the Gentiles, and that is how uh, really Christ, what becomes Christianity moves out of Judaism because it started as a Jewish sect, a Jewish organization within Judaism. But with Paul and others, it moves out because he sees himself specifically preaching the gospel to those who had no Jewish background at all. All right, all right. I actually was having a conversation with an employee yesterday, and he was mentioning to me about his um, his brother-in-law had um, a different understanding of what a Gentile was in 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 the first century A.D. when Paul was writing, um, saying, "I'm a pro- I'm the apostle to the Gentiles," because this person believed that um, that uh, African descendants weren't considered Gentiles, and I mm-hmm. said that you know what if a the, the it's the religion that mattered, you know. If you, yeah, you know, well, the, the Judaism, it was it, it not it wasn't just a people; it was a religion. Well, the the word Gentile is from um, the Hebrew word is goyim, and the uh, Greek word is ethne or nations ethne. So it'd be uh, considered from their point of view, nations outside of of uh, the uh, the Hebrew. Um, Religious political structure, because by the way, the uh, the um, the Hebrews uh, were very much uh, Afro Asiatic peoples themselves. Right, right. And I was what I was trying to explain to the to the person uh, was that when people say Africa, they tend to forget that Africa is gigantic. It's exactly. not a country; <laughs> it's a continent. <laughs> so you can't say <laughs> you can't right. use wide sweeping terms right exactly you you have to have some understanding of the uh, of the contemporary context meaning the context of the um, land people and languages of that time both what we call the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures and New Testament got it got it mm-hmm. so in the in the midst of talking about all of these things just uh, a, another question that comes up at mm-hmm. times when um, I've taught Bible is the clear difference difference between the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke and the Gospel of John. Now, mm-hmm. I, you know, I know about you know Q hypothesis and right. source material and all of the things that we're taught in school that we need to know. But from your standpoint, um, you know, what created the the different <laughs> Outlooks of the synoptic gospel versus the gospel of John Jesus. The different communities, the different communities, because those names we have are not the are not the persons who uh, who might have actually written those themselves. But you have a Matthean community, a community that's looking for the Messiah in a particular way as a manifestation of the coming of the kingdom. You have a Lucan uh, community that's uh, looking for more and broader. Uh, 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 understand and interpretation of the message of 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 Yeshua. That's why he wrote two parts, uh, both Luke and Acts. You have the uh, actually the earliest one is written by Mark, which is just presented episodes in his life, just just showing you what he's doing in Acts. And then uh, you have John, which takes more of a mystical approach and takes approach that uh, wants to demonstrate that this uh, person didn't only appear. Uh, at a particular point, place, and time, but it was also pre-existent. So they're, they're, if you look at them as um, 
uh, as I said, quasi biographies, they're trying to show different aspects of uh, this person who had a historical impact. And by the way, as you know, there are other gospels. There are Gnostic gospels that have uh, recently come before our general public's uh, purview Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Judas, etc., but that have also existed for centuries. So about the 3rd, 4th century, that's when um, you have uh, decisions being made uh, as to which writings would be included in what will become known as the New Testament. But again, back in a nutshell, uh, different communities, uh, followers of Yeshua, uh, are given their different perspectives on who he was and the significance of what he did from their perspectives. Then the synoptics means uh, really with they're similar in, in a way that's, um, that there are some harmonies in those stories because they're drawing from each other more than there is between those three and the gospel according to John. Got it, got it. So um, I'm going to take advantage of uh, the extra time to pull out my extra questions. Yes. And, and one of them is a concept that literally blew my mind when I first when I was first exposed to it about mm, maybe 15 years ago or so, mm-hmm. 15, 16. And that is the concept of Midrash. Yes. Uh, and um, <laughs> it blew my mind because, you know, my understanding of the Midrash, and then please expound and correct if needed, is how the the ancient Hebrew people would take a story from their their sacred writings and reinterpret a new prophet, a new teacher, in from those old stories to mm-hmm. show that the same God was present with an uh, Elisha that was with Elijah or with Moses. Or etc. So the Sermon on the Mount is not really what happened. It's showing him that he's a, like a Moses, correct? You know, so etc. Those yeah. type of things, and it really blew me away when I first uh, uh, was exposed to it. So I just want to know, you know, could you expound on it? Oh yeah, on it's, it, it, there are two examples. And first of all, Midrash is as an organic commentary on a, a a sacred text or theme. For example, in what we call the Old Testament, one of the most dominant themes are two. Uh, one, the two of the most dominant themes are creation and recreation, uh, and then also uh, the constitution of a nation, nationhood, coming from enslavement into freedom. Okay? So, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, for example, it begins with a chronology, just like many of the Old Testament or Greek or Hebrew writings would have a chronology of a Messiah. If you're going to talk about a king, you got to talk about who preceded the king. Hence, chapter 1 of the uh, gospel. Then when you get to the last part of chapter 1 and chapters 2 and 3, you have, in a very interesting, fascinating way, a retelling of the story of going into bondage into Egypt and coming back out. That's why Joseph, Mary, and Jesus go into Egypt and return out. And it says that to fulfill the prophecies. So what Matthew is trying to do is to, is to take these core themes of, of especially the theme of the Messiah and the theme of freedom and nation building and show how Jesus fulfills those themes. Okay. On the other side, the reason the gospel of John begins with this extensive in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, words was God, etc. Very philosophical is because a, he wants to demonstrate 
that there was a pre-existing power or principle before the incarnation of this particular man, and B, the rest of the gospel is attempting to demonstrate that he's a miracle worker. He's a he's a worker of signs like Moses, like Elijah, like Elijah. There you have it. And, and those are just two examples. So that's Midrash because it's not just about the original story of what this person does, but it is related to our conversation earlier about reincarnation. People believed in reincarnation because there were certain individuals that they believed were determinative, Moses and Elijah. So is this person a, re, a reincarnation of Moses and Elijah and what Moses and Elijah represent? Yes or no? Yes, but not in a literal sense. Or yes, maybe in a literal sense. So even the idea that we talked earlier about reincarnation is important because it connects with Midrash. Yes, yes. Now, one of the things that many people who are in the New Thought movement and even in the Unity movement don't realize is that Charles Fillmore literally believed that he yes. was a reincarnation of the Apostle Paul. It's right. not talked about. Right. You know, yes. and, and uh, he would tell people. Right. That that he believed that he came to clear up and make plain right. some of the mystical teachings that he presented before and an overemphasis on the 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 suffering and death of Jesus instead of the teaching. Yeah, the more legal teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's an interesting concept. Whether it's again literally true or metaphorically true, right? The the he, he had was a person who had was not as well known in his time, but his method or methodology of metaphysical interpretation has more influence on in our movement than anyone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, he was a close reader. I mean, we're doing the twelve powers. He was a close reader himself of how to interpret the Bible metaphysically and how to interpret the terminology metaphysically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just an interesting concept as I was thinking about that. Um, you know, even, uh, Reverend Coleman and, uh, uh, Johnny Coleman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she said on TV mm-hmm. that she, she was the reincarnation of a, of an Egyptian princess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on CBS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, again, I, I, I believe it, it depends on how you view, as I gave the example yeah. for the Hebrews, yeah. how one views time, history, and the nature of the soul, the nature yeah. of the animating consciousness within ourselves. And if it is, you have a, a more secular view of history, that history goes and in small and giant cycles, then the idea of reincarnation makes good sense. If you have a view that is uh, more linear, but with interventions within it, you know, theophanies within it, then the idea of resurrection becomes uh, uh, more uh, compelling. And this is what happened. Eventually, the, the, the Christians, those who became known as Christians, adopted a more linear view of history. And linear view of history also meant a linear view of their own lives. You follow me? Yes. You know, what's interesting, just quickly, uh, is um, a few years ago, um, we had um, your friend, uh, Dr. Beckwith, who's, by the way, you'll be at his conference uh, coming up next month. Yeah, 2016 Revelation Conference. He mentioned uh, at our conference, Panorama of Truth, which you've also spoken at before, Mm -hmm. that he had, uh, when he was a young man, 
he had he had a vision, a very strong vision and presence of someone standing before him, behind him, speaking to him, telling him that what he could do and why he could do what he needed to do before he was ordained, before he mm-hmm. was a teacher, etc. Mm-hmm. And he said maybe 20 years after that, he had a vision. And in that vision, he was watching that young man, the person who mm-hmm. he heard as a young man was himself, mm-hmm. the current version. And then he said he had an experience where he was watching himself as a young man, the current version, watching mm-hmm. the young man speaking to him, encouraging him, and something behind him was saying, but you're not finished. You're mm-hmm. not done. There's more mm-hmm. work to do. So he was experiencing at some quantum level, for lack of terms, multidimensional level, three versions of himself. Right, 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 right. Yeah, well, uh, we're not limited to uh, this particular moment. I mean, classic examples would be the different places and dimensions that uh, we go to in dream states. And that's another uh, reality, another aspect of reality. And, you know, there are a lot of different theories about what you just described. Uh, I can only say that there are, that's congruent with the biblical uh, text of of, uh, of theophanies and also of visioning. You see, prophecy is not about telling the future per se. Prophecy is based on the ability to to see reality metaphysically or to see it multidimensionally. And by, by seeing it metaphysically multidimensionally, you can see also patterns, individual patterns and patterns of nations. That's what the prophets are doing, or, or social patterns. And what makes it prophetic is your insight into the uh, movement of individuals and peoples in time, in time, in time. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, we, we have about two minutes left, so I want to mm-hmm. make – sure that if it was anything that uh, any thought that you wanted to leave the people with and again give the people your information about how they can get in contact with you or if you have any upcoming speaking engagements that if they're in the local area they can come and check you out yeah well that's it as you mentioned i'll be at uh, revelation uh 2016 in california that's going to be at the end of april the last thursday in april uh, through the first of may i'll be one of the, the keynote speakers during the conference and I invite everybody to come participate there and hear me uh, present. But also, uh, Monday night, um, the uh, free classes that I do on Bible and meditation are open to anyone. Uh, just send me an uh, email request at uh, for my website, willcolemanphd.com, or more specifically, wcolemanphd at earthlink.net, and I'll enroll you into that class. We have been... Um, uh, we've been uh, teaching this class since 2009, and uh, we have a good, strong core of uh, about 70 students in it. And this is every Monday night. I also do another class on uh, not but a meditation, same link, on Thursday nights from about 11 to 12:15 p.m. Really All demonstrating right. in meditation what we talk about on Monday nights. Could could you just give us a little bit of example before we go of, of biblical meditation? Maybe a thirty second synopsis. Well, just one what just one idea. Let's take the word um, uh, and the I am phrase. I am in Exodus three fourteen is 
really a powerful Hebrew phrase, a year, a share, a year, meaning I have been what I have been, I am that I am, I will be what I will be. So when Moses has this vision, what has been uh, presented to him is an affirmation that's used often in New Thought in English, but the, the phrase is, eh, hey, yeah, I have been, I am, and I will be connected with the source of life, essentially, uh, the living one. So that's the, the word for Yahweh is actually, or Jehovah is the living one. I am connected with livingness. And to affirm that as an intonation is a very powerful thing to do in, con- in conjunction with breathing and visualization of the uh, of the oneness we have with the Eheya. Got it, got it. Well, thank you, Dr. Cohen, thank for you. coming on the call. The time went by too fast. Yes, we'll it's gone. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to do this <laughs> for now. again. One. Yes, for now. And and it's all good because, you know, it, it, you know, we just continue doing the work and, and allowing God to be God in, through, and as us. So thank you all very much. I thank want to you. remind the callers that next week we'll have a financial expert, uh, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, who wrote Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice, and The Wealth Choice. So call in, have your questions ready, and don't forget that you can download this uh, show later via iTunes and Stitcher, and it'll be available on the website probably by tomorrow. God bless you. Thank you again, Dr. Coleman, and thank you all for following Truth Transforms. All right. Have a blessed one. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. When I look at the world around me, I may feel dismayed by the amount of conflict I see. Of course I want things to be different, and perhaps I'm willing to take action, but so often I don't know exactly what to do or how. Sometimes the best place to start is with myself. By first looking at my own life and relationships, I may find areas of conflict that need to be resolved. If I want that resolution, I must work for it within myself. Peace is a personal responsibility. 
and ever-present power I must choose to accept. Every time I work to heal something within myself, I am helping to heal the world. Peace happens one heart at a time. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.